You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Welcome to the Christmas season. Uh, I know some of you have been celebrating Christmas for months now. But I love Christmas. I don't know where you fall on the spectrum of your love for Christmas. Maybe you hate this time of the year. Like a lot of the things I love happen this time of the year. Um, we get to see family and friends. That's I love that. Snow. I don't know. Some of you are like, no, please. It's coming, guys. I'm, com- I'm telling you. If you go up to Seven Springs, it's already there. It just like appears there. I don't know how they do it. Um, but I love this time of the year, and I don't know where you are, but, but I would say this, society seems to keep loving Christmas more and more, too, uh, because the Christmas season keeps starting earlier. Like every year, one of these years, it's going to be like, 4th of July, Christmas. <laughs> In fact, I want to do like a kind of informal poll. How many of you, just by raise your hand, if you're watching online, you can post in the comments, whatever, but how many of you, you started decorating or listening to Christmas music before like September or September or earlier. And I see those hands. You, you are the crazy people. How many of you, how many of you wait till October? You're like, at least October. Some of you, all right, all right. How many of you, like Halloween is your kickoff to Christmas? A few of you. How many of you are like the diehard traditionalists? You wait till after Thanksgiving. There we go, okay. And how many of you, we will call the opportunists? You wait till the week of Christmas to start decorating and listening to Christmas music. Do we got anyone here? Got a few of you? Yep, yep, there you go. Uh, we, 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 we respond to Christmas in so many different ways, but Christmas keeps getting earlier and earlier. And, and you know, one of the things that makes Christmas such a special, magical time is kind of the spirit, the aura of Christmas. It, it's a time where we reflect on all the good things that have happened in our lives, where we're maybe more inclined to exercise generosity, and where we're at least supposed to be a little bit nicer to people around us. And I know, uh, because we're in church and watching, or watching, maybe watching church online here, uh, we're supposed to say that all of this is because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Like, it's a happier place in the world because of, because of the birth of Jesus. But if we weren't sitting in church right now, or if we weren't watching church online, like, would that really be our answer? Christmas can be special because of so many different things. Maybe the decorations or the movies, the music, the traditions, and the memories. It can be about reindeer and Santa and about snow and magical moments, about gift-giving and nostalgia and what can actually be right with society. And with all that we're told about Christmas and, and at least what we strive to believe, we focus on the real reason for this season, which is what? Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Maybe you have that bumper sticker, uh, or you've seen it. But, if, but what, if, what if Jesus isn't the only reason for this season? I know uh, we're walking on uh, scary territory here. Now, I'm not, I'm not going off about how Christmas is actually a pagan holiday or how we've over-secularized Christmas or any of that stuff. That's not what we're talking about. See, what if I told you that from the very beginning, Jesus was never meant to be the primary reason for this season? What if in God's intent, with Christ's arrival here on earth, that his intent wasn't that Christ's birth would be the focal point, but, but that he would actually uh, start, be the starting point of something even greater than simply the birth of a child. And today I want to talk to you about the real reason and the promise 
of Christmas. It's more than just a baby that was born to Mary and to Joseph. We know this because after Jesus was born, he would he'd become a man and, and he would walk the Judean countryside as a man and start what we would call his ministry. And, and he would talk so much about his real reason, like the purpose that he came to this earth. And you know what he didn't talk about? He didn't talk about his birth. Jesus didn't walk the Judean countryside and say, guys, did you know that I was born to Mary and Joseph in a manger? And like shepherds came and he didn't like retell that story. Jesus never retold that story. That wasn't the reason, that wasn't the purpose that he came. You know who he talked about? He would talk about the real reason he stepped out of heaven to earth. He would say things like this, the kingdom of God is coming or the kingdom of God is here. He talked so much about this idea of the kingdom. And, and, and to us, we think like uh, legal or, or governmental kingdom, but that wasn't what he was talking about because they thought that too. In fact, in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus said this uh, to those listening. He said, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he's talking about this kingdom. You see, the anticipation for the very first Christmas, was even bigger and greater than it is today. Like, it didn't just go back months. Like, today, you know, some of you are the crazy ones that start listening to Christmas music in the summer, okay? You have a problem, and I would encourage you to talk to someone about that problem. Work through that, okay? Others of you, you're, you know, you, you, you hate Christmas, and Christmas is kind of a difficult time. I get that. Like, we respond to Christmas in different ways, but Christmas season, at least, in the stores happened sooner and sooner. Well, the first Christmas was anticipated not just months in advance, but thousands of years in advance. And, and uh, it didn't just uh, happen. The anticipation wasn't really all about the beauty, wonder, and grandeur of this baby that was going to be born in a man manger. It, it was the anticipation of a promise that was to be fulfilled. It was the promise of a kingdom, not simply a king. What Jesus came to start wasn't just to be a king, but to be a kingdom. This is what God spoke to King David uh, around uh, 100 BC. It's, it's recorded uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. Here's what, what we read. And, and, and God here is speaking to King David about his son, King, king Solomon, that would be uh, the, the next king. But he was speaking in a greater terms than just that. Here's what he said. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And he's speaking of, of Solomon at this moment. Then he goes on, verse 13. He is the one who built a house for my name. That would be the temple. And he says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What's, what's God talking about here? He's not talking about the nation of Israel, a physical kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom that was being established by this Messiah, this figure that the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, speaks so much about and points toward. That Messiah would be Jesus. See, we often have this skewed picture of what that very first Christmas was like and why it even happened. We can think that Jesus being born was the crux of the whole story. Like everything reached toward that. It was the pinnacle moment. Uh, but that's not the entire story. The promise, or, or what we might call the prophecy, that's given throughout that first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, over and over and over and over again, was of a, about a coming Messiah 
And and that promise wasn't about a moment, but it was about a movement. It wasn't simply about the arrival of a Messiah, but what that Messiah was to to usher in. And, And on that first Christmas, due to the census that was declared, that day was not orderly, It wasn't beautiful. The celebration of Christ's birth wasn't this uh, picture that we get oftentimes in our nativity scenes where everything was like perfect. Like Jesus was laying in that manger. If any of you have had a newborn, no newborn just lays there generally. Like he was crying. He's, you know, probably pooping everywhere. You know, he was a baby, okay? And not only was he a baby, like the world that he was born into was a really chaotic confusing time. It was very uncertain. This census forced people to drop everything, to leave their homes and their normal routines of life and to return to the town of their family's origin. They had to drop everything and go. And and it was time-framed, really strictly time-framed. This was a major disruption to the lives of thousands across Israel. We think of this really cool pilgrimage that Mary and Joseph took to Bethlehem, like everything was awesome. Mary was very pregnant. Uh, You know, it wasn't awesome. It was really difficult. Like, and that wasn't just Mary and Joseph. This was for everybody. And, and, And most people at this time just wanted to return home and get back to normal. Like, Get this census behind us. Let's appease the Roman government because they make us. Let's just get back to normal routine. I just want to get back to what it was like before the census so I can get back to what I was doing. I was working on this project and building something or I was, I was working on this or that. They just want to get back to their normal routine. The reality was though that things would never be the same again after this day. The moment this king, Jesus, was born, a movement was started and it wasn't just the birth of a king, it was the birth of a kingdom. And this is what the prophet Isaiah would write about almost 800 years before Jesus was born. He wrote about a coming kingdom, a kingdom that would be like no other, that would take what appeared to be and flip it on its head. Listen to Isaiah's language here. We're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 61. And what's so interesting about this chapter and what Isaiah writes is how he writes this and what he's talking about, sharing the words of God as a prophet sounds really similar to how Jesus would talk and teach in the Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter five and six and seven. Jesus talked about, uh, you have heard that it was said this, but I say this. And, and Isaiah is saying, you might see this, but, I, but, but, but in, in God's kingdom, it's this. And, and what Isaiah is introducing is the language of the kingdom that you would see Jesus use so often, so many times. Uh, he, he wrote about this coming kingdom. This was the introduction of the language of this new kingdom. In this kingdom, what is lost can be found. What is broken can actually be something beautiful. What is scarred can be something special. What is captive can be set free. And here's what Isaiah wrote about this coming Messiah uh, and how he would transform the world by ushering in and bringing this new kingdom to earth. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And, and we might not be familiar with that language like anointed. What does that mean? <clears throat> that sounds really spiritual and religious and everything. But, but, but what, what Isaiah is writing about, the, the idea of anointing, really harkens back to uh, the, 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 the priests of uh, the Old Testament. The priests would anoint kings and would anoint people, meaning they were praying for the spirit and power of God to equip people and to come upon people for specific tasks. 
So a priest would be anointed and they would pour this oil from their head and it would run down their beard and their cloak and their robes and, and, and it was covering them physically to show that the spirit and power of God was covering them spiritually to empower and equip them for specific work, okay? Um, we don't do that today. I don't know if you would like to walk out of church like covered in oil. That would be a little difficult, but um, that would be really cool to walk into Denny's and be like, oh, it's just a thing we do at church. Don't mind my shiny, oily hair. Um, but, but this is what, what he's talking about. He's saying, you are anointed. Like, God is anointed, this Messiah, but, but he's speaking broader than that, us, for a specific task. And what's that task? He says, to proclaim good news to the poor. He, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. And, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow in them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Notice what what's he's saying. He's saying, uh, you're going to have this instead of this, and that instead of this. Why, why, is, why is the uh, prophet Isaiah writing this? What, what's he speaking about? He's speaking about this new kingdom, this kingdom that was vastly different than anything they'd experienced before. Because we experience the kingdoms that we can see, that we can touch, that we can feel, that we can control, and, and there's boxes, and, and everything fits in its box. And, and, and what, what God's saying here is, there's this kingdom coming. And this kingdom is beyond what you can physically see or grasp. And physically you see something is broken, but I can make it whole. Physically you see that you're captive because of your decisions, the decisions of others. You're, you're captive, but I can come and unlock the gates and the doors and you can be set free. Physically you feel sad and, and sorrowful and you're mourning, but I wanna give you beauty Ashes. I want to pour on the joy of, of, of a new morning, of a new day. Like physically you feel this way. Naturally you feel this way. Or you see this. But I want to speak something different. See something different. He goes on. He said they will be called. Or, or back, backtrack. He said uh, to bestow them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy of mourning and a garment of praise instead of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I love that last statement, that in our weakness, in the kingdom of God, in our struggle, in our setbacks, in the moments where we don't feel like we have enough, and I don't know if you're ever there where you're like, I don't feel like I have enough, God. I don't have what it takes to make it through another Christmas. I don't have what it takes to make it through another month or a week like this. I, I don't know if I can do this in my job, as a parent, in, in my relationships. Like, I, I feel like I'm not enough. This is an important place to be because those are the points where we can lean into the one that is more than enough. That's what, that's what Isaiah is talking about. That there's one that's more, in the kingdom, there's, there's this one that fills in the gaps and, and, and fills in the gaps to such an extent that you don't just make it. Like, we just wanna survive. Can I just get through this Christmas, this week? Can I just get through one more month? Like, we just wanna survive. Like, that's our human tendency, survival. We just wanna make it. And what, what the prophet Isaiah is saying here at this last verse is that God's desire for you this Christmas, his desire for your life, the desire for so many in our world, isn't that we just survive. It's like that's, that's, the standard's too low. Like God has a bigger standard expectation for you. He wants to make you oaks of righteousness for his namesake. 
An oak tree is one of the most stable, strong trees of any species. Why? Because their roots go deep and the winds and the storms come and oaks don't move. This is what God wants to do. He doesn't want to just make you survive where you just barely make it, where you're just, you know, uh, a reed blowing in the wind and, and the storm passes and you're like, oh, I'm not too damaged, like I made it, I survived. You know, I have the scars to show up, but I, but I made it. No, he wants to make you in this kingdom that Isaiah is talking about, an oak of righteousness, where you don't waver, you just stand. In the, in the book of Psalms, it talks about that we are planted by streams of living water, that, that our roots go deep in, and that, that we produce good fruit in every season because of, uh, of our roots and where we're, we're planted. God wants to do that in your life. You might be like, that's crazy. Like, you're talking some crazy stuff today. This is the kingdom that Isaiah is writing about. This is the kingdom that Jesus established. It's a place where, where, where there's good news. We need good news, don't we? In the New Testament, we refer to it as the gospel. The Greek, it says the euangelion. This was the news that, that Jesus would proclaim throughout his ministry. It was the news of a coming reality, of a, of a new kingdom. Uh, that would be established here on earth. And, and this was the same kingdom, the same news that Jesus' disciples would, would proclaim as they established what we know today as the church. There's good news. It's a place where the broken can be rebuilt, where the captives can be set free, where God's favor and his justice are realized, where the ashes of our past are actually not seen as a detriment, but as something beautiful, where the pain of our lives is turned into praise, where our weaknesses can be transformed in God's lasting strength. And, and, and those first few verses of Isaiah 61, we read about the things that characterize this kingdom, like what this kingdom is all about. But the last verse, verse four, that we're gonna look at, really talks about what the kingdom accomplishes. Not just what, it, what it's characterized by, but what it accomplishes. Here's what it says. They will rebuild, can you say rebuild? They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I love this verse on so many levels. But what we're reading here is what the kingdom accomplishes. The kingdom does not deny a current reality. Things are difficult. Things are devastated. You can read the descriptions or the adjectives used. Uh, ruins... Devastated cities that are devastated, ruined cities that have been devastated for generations, like it's been a period of time, it's not just something that just happened, like it's been a generational thing, like a cyclical thing, like it's happened over and over and over. It doesn't deny a reality of what is, but in the kingdom, it accepts a reality of what could be. Like that God can do impossible things. That, that, that maybe your granddad and your great-granddad were alcoholics and like everyone in your family is an alcoholic and like as far back as you can go and everyone's abusive and they yell at each other and they scream at each other and they throw things at each other and that's, that's like Christmas. Christmas is like dodgeball with objects and people just throw things at each other and get yell at each other and it's screaming and, and like that's the character and culture of your family and you're like that's the way it is. It's the way it's gonna be for my kids and my grandkids because this is the way it's always been. But in the kingdom, what's been ruined What's been devastated, what's been broken, can be renewed, restored, rebuilt. Like what, what is, not denying the reality, but in the kingdom, there's a new reality. And the reality is 
a, a, a part of the equation that we don't factor in so often. And it's God, his impossibility, his, his, his ability to do what we can't fathom. You see, the promise of the kingdom, the crux of the Christmas story, isn't found simply on Christmas Day. It, but it was a reality of the kingdom that was being established, a reality that would become more and more evident actually the day after Christmas, not on Christmas Day. This reality wasn't about what was arriving in a moment, but the redemptive and restorative movement that Christ's birth was actually setting in motion. And, And this is still true for us today. You know, we can push down all the pain, all the problems, and all the confusion of our world. We can shove it down, push it aside for one day. We call that Christmas Day. It's a wonderful time. We, we put on the nice face, <clears throat> our best face. Our, we present our best selves, and we hope for the best in our world. And this is why Christmas can be such a magical, special time. Because for that one day, we forget about the problems and all the stresses, and we just strive to make the most. We, we call it joy. Like, we sing the song, Joy to the World. And, and it's a time of joy and peace. More often than not, for the majority of people, though, the joy and the peace of this season isn't real. It's just something we put on. Just like you put on a jacket to go outside. We put it on and then we take it off. And for that one day, everything's great. But the kingdom isn't about a day. It's not about a moment. And, and then December 26th comes. And all the junk and the stress and the chaos come rushing back. It smacks us in the face and in a 24-hour period, we go from a place of peace to a place of significant pain. This is because we think Christmas is about a moment, but it's actually about a movement. Christmas isn't simply about the arrival of a king, but the birth of a kingdom. And and, and this means a couple things for us that I want to unpack here today. The first thing, that, that, that the fact that it wasn't just a king arriving, but a kingdom means this, that no matter what your background, no matter what labels you carry or the baggage you drag behind you, we all have the opportunity to enter this kingdom through Jesus. Like, you don't have to come from the right family or have the right name or have the right socioeconomic status or, or, or have the right amount of money or, or, or whatever it may be, look the part. Like, anyone can enter the kingdom through Jesus. Jesus said this, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was saying he is the gate that we enter. Jesus is our starting point. And if we can recognize that Jesus came to be that starting point, that we can accept the forgiveness that came through his death on the cross and his resurrection, and we can step into the life that he created for us, that he longs for us to have. Not a life defined by our mistakes or our sin, but a life defined by his purposes and his goodness. Like, if we recognize that, Jesus is our starting point. But the kingdom that he established is our path. And we can all enter that kingdom. Regardless of how dire or depressing or or difficult our current state might be, in the kingdom, what is can be transformed into what could be. There is no one too far gone. No one too screwed up. No one discounted or overlooked or kept out of this transformational kingdom. It's a kingdom that's not bound by geographic boundaries or limits. It is open to all who are willing to live this Jesus way of life. It's a remarkable kingdom. And it's not something for 
for a certain group of people, like just for the insiders, just for those who are good enough and can prove themselves. Look at Jesus' disciples and the people that followed him. None of them were good enough. In fact, based on society's standards of that time, they were the least worthy, the least equipped, the, the ones that least deserved it. Uh, it was said of Jesus that, that, that he hung out with drunkards, gluttons, like the, the people in society that others looked down on. That's who he hung out with. He hung out with the ones who shouldn't have been welcomed into the kingdom. And, and what's amazing is he didn't leave them that way. Like this isn't a, a kingdom where you just, everyone's welcome, stay as you are. No, it's a, it's a kingdom where you come as you are. Leave transformed. That's, that's the, the beauty of the kingdom. That God doesn't leave us the way we are. Like we might find ourselves in a dire state, but it doesn't leave us there. I, I love uh, in, in the one translation of the Bible, uh, we've seen it in some old hymns, that, that he pulls us out of the miry clay. Like he pulls us out of the pit. He pulls us from our junk, the things that we can't get ourselves out of because of our mistakes or because of the mistakes of others. We find ourselves in this place and we come as you are. That's the kingdom. No matter what you've gone, gone through, what you've done, where you've come from, you, you might be here today or watching online like, you just need to hear. You don't have to be religious enough. You don't have to have it all together. <clears throat> you just have to be willing to step in to the kingdom. Come as you are. But I promise you, he won't leave you as you are. He will transform you. I could go through story after story after story after story of people where God has taken them as they are in their brokenness, in all of their mistakes, and screwed up way of life, and he's transformed them to be something that they never dreamed was possible because God saw something in them because he created them and he created you. He made you and he shaped you and he has something incredible in store for you. In, in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. What a verse, man, I love that verse. But the very next verse, 12 and 13, says that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Like there's a part, on, we, we play a part in this. He wants to transform you, not leave you as you are, but you have to be willing to step into the kingdom. So the first thing we see about this amazing kingdom, we read about in Isaiah, that we see Jesus embody is that we're all welcome. Like anyone is welcome to enter the kingdom. I don't care where you are or what you come from. Today, you can enter the kingdom. How awesome is that? But, but number two, number two, not only can we enter the kingdom, we have this amazing opportunity to invite others to come and to see what we have experienced. You know, sometimes the, this idea of the kingdom of God, uh, we get this concept that it's like the secret club it's like, it's, it's, it's like this uh, secret society. Like if you know the right amount of knocks or the password, you can get in. But that's not what the kingdom is about. It's not meant to be a secret society. I remember when I was in high school, I uh, helped lead a, a ministry, Christian ministry on our campus. We called our Bible club. And I remember I was meeting with my, my principal at the time. We were doing this thing called See with the Pool. And See with the Pool is where students gather around the flagpole uh, in September every year to pray for their school. And, and I had bought these, uh, these posters from like the See with the Pool website. And I wanted to put them up around my school to, uh, to, to let people know See with the Pool was happening. And my principal called me in his office and I was trying to get permission. They were denying the permission. And, and, uh, and he said, Nick, I don't know what your faith is like, but I, I, I'm a man of faith. And I've always been told and taught 
that your faith is something that's supposed to be very private. You keep it to yourself. And now I'm a high schooler. I didn't say this, thank goodness. But I was thinking in my head growing up in the church, I'm like, what faith are you talking about? Like, I don't know what faith you're talking about because everything I read in the New Testament, they weren't quiet about it. I'm not saying you have to beat people over the head and be obnoxious. They weren't obnoxious, but they also weren't quiet about it. Like the kingdom isn't something that we just keep to ourselves. It's something we invite others to come and see. We see this. We see this really well in the Christmas story. Luke chapter two. Uh, in Luke chapter two, you know, Jesus has been born uh, and, and as he's born, like these angels appear in the heavens and they sing and they declare to, to some lowly shepherds in the fields that that, that there's a, a Messiah has been born and like uh, the shepherds were the lowliest of the low. Like they, they were not the elite of society. Like these were the last people. It would be like the angels appearing to Browns fans and being like, hey, the, the Messiah's come. You'd be like, Browns fans, like of all people, come on. Like why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, at least go to like someone a little more respectable than that. But, but this is what, what they did. The angels appear. If you're a Browns fan, I'm sorry. I apologize. We love you so much in spite of your, your shortcomings. Um, but, 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 but really, like, the, the, the angels appear to these shepherds like the low of low of society. And, and as they appeared to these shepherds, listen to how they responded, what they did. In verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They're like, wow, this is incredible. Let's not just sit in the moment. Let's not just like bask in the glory that we just experienced literally. Let's go see it. Like, they told us about it. The angels appeared miraculously, supernaturally in the heavens. And, and let's go do something. Let's see it. And here's what it says. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, listen to this. So they, they, they see, they see it. They, they see the scene. Like I said, probably not a pretty scene. It's a manger, it stunk, it smelled, it was a crying baby. Like, but it was beautiful in the midst of its messiness. They see what was told to them by these angels. And you know what their response was? It wasn't like, wow, I'm going to have this coolest story to tell my grandkids someday. Let's go back to the fields. Like our sheep are waiting for us. They're probably cold and maybe they ran off. Like, let's go make sure they're still there. No, no. Here's what it says. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Like, they didn't keep it to themselves. They told everyone, like, guys, we've met the Messiah. Like, we saw this Jesus. We saw this baby. These angels appeared to us. In verse 19, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And I'm like, that's a weird verse to put in the middle of all this. Like, Luke was writing this. Luke wasn't one of the disciples, of course. Luke wasn't actually there. He wasn't, like, sitting there recording that. Uh, this is Luke's way of giving a footnote. He's basically uh, notify, or, or he's, he's notifying you of his source. He's saying Mary was his source. That's what, that, that statement there is his way of giving credit to the one who gave him that story, which is Mary. And she, she of course, was there. And so this is a really more accurate, I guess. In uh, verse, verse 20, and the shepherds returned, listen to this, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds would come and see this king that was born. And we'll talk more about that 
uh, next, next Sunday. But as they experienced the king, they stepped in to this remarkable kingdom that Jesus came to establish. What was the result? They invited others to come and see what they had experienced. It was so remarkable to them. They couldn't keep it in. I don't know if you've ever been to like a really good restaurant and like you want to tell everyone about it. Like really good. I tell people all the time about Taco Bell and like people just keep, they just don't listen to me. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe they've been there before. I don't know. I remember a few years ago, there was this uh, Chinese restaurant in Greensburg, right in the uh, Greengate Center shopping plaza. And Heidi and I loved it. It was so good. Like everything. It was one of the best Chinese restaurants I've ever been to. But it was like kind of tucked back in the corner and no one ever found it. Within a year, the place closed. We were like, ah, why would it close? We should have told more people about it, right? Um, We have these restaurants. We have places that we go, stores. We have an incredible experience. And we share it with people. Why don't we share the good things God is doing with people? Because this is part of the kingdom. It's not just that anyone is welcome. Like God keeps us and accepts us as we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. He transforms us. It's not just that. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's that the kingdom is meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared. John the Apostle were to write about the power of your story, the power of our experience with God in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Here's what he wrote. He wrote in Revelation 12, 11, and they conquered him. This is speaking of the enemy of our souls, Satan. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb. That's the work of Jesus on the cross. That's what he's talking about. Like Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave. We overcome by that act of, of, of dying on the cross, a perfect sacrifice of Jesus, and then rising again like that, but that and something else. What's the other thing? By the word of their testimony. And we can all enter that kingdom. We all have the ability. And, and God will transform every single one of us. And because of that, we all have a story. And the greatest toll God has given any of us to welcome others into this heavenly kingdom here on earth isn't our head knowledge, it's not our piety or our religious practice, it's our story. Each and every one of us have a story. What a remarkable thing. And through your story, you have the opportunity to invite others to see what you've seen, to experience what you've experienced, to not simply have a moment with God, but actually to step into a movement to meet a king and to enter a kingdom. You see, Christmas is a special moment. But the day after Christmas has the ability to be a supernatural, the beginning of a supernatural movement in your life. What we experience today as we gather at church, watch online, as we worship together, is so special and meaningful. And it's so very important. I am so grateful that we can gather and do this that we can encounter the presence of God, that we can walk through God's word together. But our ability to translate what God speaks to us, how God works in us and does for us and into our lives tomorrow is more important than just the feeling you get at church. Like what your life looks like tomorrow as you go to work or you go about the chores you have to do at home or as you go about life tomorrow when you wake up, like that is far more important than just how you feel right now. You might feel like, man, 
I, I feel so close to God. That's awesome. And I, I, we pray hard for that. As a team, our leaders work hard that, that you can encounter God in a relevant way, in a meaningful way, that, 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 that you can know when you leave church that you've experienced the presence of God. That's so important. But what's more important is that you live out the kingdom. You take the kingdom with you. It's not about a movement. It's about a movement. The result of a powerful encounter with God, just as it was for the shepherds, should result in an invitation to come and see. Like that's what God has asked of us. He's, he's, he's pushing us and challenging us. Like the, the result of that should be to come and see. What, for, for you guys, when you came in, you, you got a card. And it looks like this. And uh, if you didn't get one, you can grab one at the Connection Center on your way out. But, but they look like this. And, and in the front of it, it just says, pray for three so they can come and see. And on the back, it just has a, verse, a part of the verse we read a minute ago in Luke chapter two. And, and here's, here's what I encourage you to do. Uh, before you leave today, I want you to write three names down. Why am I doing this? Because um, we can hear a message and be inspired and challenged and encouraged and all that and not do anything with it because I know that's how I am. And maybe you're like that too. And tomorrow you're gonna go about your day and you're gonna jump on your task list or your projects or, or jump into your inbox and start working through email and you're gonna, you're gonna go through life and you're gonna forget about everything that we talked about today until next Sunday and you come back and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, we talked about that. I wanna give you a reminder to help you understand the kingdom that you're part of, the kingdom that we are all part of. And I want you to, before you leave today, I want you to write down three people in your life that don't know Jesus. Three people that, that have never entered the kingdom of God, have never met the king. Or maybe they did years ago and they, they aren't living for God. Three people that you can write down here. And here's what I want you to do with them. I don't want you to go tomorrow and like say, hey, dude, you know, I know you're not living for Jesus. I, and you're screwed up. You've made some big mistakes in your life. But I want you to know like, I'm praying for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm praying for you, and then walk away. Don't do that. What I want you to do is, I just want you to pray for them. For these next three weeks, every day, put this somewhere where you'll see it. It might be in your car. It might be, you know, on your bathroom mirror. It might be on your fridge. It might be in your fridge. Whatever, whatever works for you. Maybe it's like sitting on your, your uh, video game controller. You just duct tape it to it. While you're, you know, killing people in Jesus' name, you're praying for them too. Okay, <laughs> whatever it is, wherever you find yourself on a regular basis, I want you to put this. I want you to make it a point every single day, I want you to pray for them. There's such power in prayer. Because God hasn't called you just to enter the kingdom and welcome you with open arms. He's called you to invite others to come and see what he has done in your life, what he's done. As the, as the worship team comes this morning, <clears throat> on on Christmas Eve, in just a few weeks, December 24th, we have two powerful, life-changing services planned at four o'clock and at six o'clock. I promise you we're gonna have some amazing music. There's a message I'm gonna be sharing that God's just burning in my heart that I can't wait to share. And we'll close out both services with a special candlelight moment together. It's a wonderful Christmas Eve. I love Christmas Eve. But those, those services aren't prayed over, and they are prayed over. They aren't planned out. They aren't prepared just for you. Our goal at Christmas Eve 
isn't to provide the best Christmas Eve tradition that you could ever experience or imagine for you, our church family. No, our goal, our goal is more than that. It's not simply to provide a moment. We wanna equip you with an amazing opportunity to help someone else come and see what you have seen, to experience the promise of this kingdom that Jesus talks so much about and that has so impacted each of our lives. There are, in this sanctuary, over 600 seats. Over 600 seats in the sanctuary. We have two Christmas Eve services. If you can do the math, I went to Derry. We were pretty good with math. I don't know where you went to school, but in my math that I learned, that's over 1,200 seats. There's over 1,200 seats over those two services. That's 1,200 opportunities to introduce someone to this amazing kingdom that's been established. A kingdom where the broken are rebuilt, where captives are set free, where the wreckage of our lives is transformed into something remarkably beautiful. The pain of our past can be actually be turned into praise, where our weaknesses are transformed into strength, that we become oaks of righteousness for his namesake. This is what our world needs today. It was also something that was needed 2,000 years ago. The same Jesus that was born to Mary and Joseph and revolutionized the world from that moment on is still doing that today. And you all are evidence of that. And we get to be part of the fulfillment of this great promise. We get to be part of the revolution that is still uh, shaking the earth in the far corners of this globe to this day. And even doing it right here in Irwin, Pennsylvania. This is what we get to be part of. And, and I want to give two quick responses here this morning. First of all, maybe you're here and you've never taken the step to enter that kingdom. Like, you've never taken the step to say, you know what, I can't believe the place didn't collapse when I walked through the doors. Like, that's a miracle in and of itself. I can't believe I actually made it through a whole service. We're almost there. Like, that's a miracle. I can't believe, I don't know how it is that I'm actually in church. Like, how does this happen? And I want you to know that God loves you and he welcomes you as you are. No, no uh, prerequisite. You don't have to earn it or deserve it because none of us do. And maybe you're here, you're watching online, you say, Nick, I don't feel like I deserve it. I don't feel like I could do it. I don't feel like I have what it takes. I'm not a church type of person. Man, you know what? Can I tell you? That makes you the perfect person because the church type people are oftentimes the grumpy ones difficult ones. We, we are here to not reach church people, to do it in a cooler way to get church people. We're here to reach people that need God and need God to transform them. And if you're here, I want to pray for you in a minute and give you an opportunity to say, you know what? I want to enter the kingdom. How do you enter the kingdom? Through the gate, through Jesus. By, by saying, God, I want to accept the forgiveness that Jesus made possible when he died on the cross, that he could forgive your sin, your mistakes of your past and I want to step into the purpose, the reason he put me on this earth. I want to live for that reason. I want my life to be defined not by my mistakes or my circumstances. I want my life to be defined by the one that created me. If that's you in a minute, I want to give you an opportunity to just pray a simple prayer. And that prayer is really a verbal commitment that I'm making between me and God, that God, from this moment on, I want to live my life in the context of your grace and your mercy. I want to live my life to pursue your purpose. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you 
for what you have done in my life. And I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our world, Lord. As you came 2,000 years ago, born to Mary and Joseph, but Lord, ultimately to die and rise again three days later, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those that are here or watching online that don't know what it means to live in the kingdom. They've never stepped through that gate that is Jesus. They've never said, I, for, I accept your forgiveness. Or maybe they did years ago, but they are, aren't living out that kingdom in their lives. God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would just draw them and speak to them, give them courage, give them the boldness, the boldness to step across the threshold of what has been into what could be as they enter your kingdom, to accept your forgiveness and to live for your purpose. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here watching online, you'd say, Nick, I wanna, I wanna take that step. I need to commit to follow the Jesus way of life, to accept his forgiveness of my past and to live for his purpose in my life. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna count to three. I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. That's just a sign between you and God to say, God, I'm making that commitment, a physical act of your will. I wanna make that commitment to follow you. And then we're gonna pray together. If that's you on the count of three, one, two, three. If that's you this morning, amen, amen, amen. Anyone else today? Amen, amen. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this prayer. And if you raise your hand, my hope isn't that you just recite some empty, hollow prayer. My hope is that these words that we're gonna pray would be words you speak from your heart, not just your head, where you just recite some prayer. That's not what it's about. And, and, and all this is, is a conversation with God that I wanna lead you in. My hope is that this would be the first of many, many conversations you have with God, where you can share the good and the bad and the ugly. You can share the, the good things and the difficult things with him. As you talk to him, that's what prayer is. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, thank you for loving me just as I am. Thank you for bringing me to this place right now. Not just a church, but a place of decision, a crossroads. Today, I accept your forgiveness. I commit to live for your purposes. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, maybe the first time or you've have, uh, you haven't made that commitment in a long time, I wanna encourage you, either stop by the Connection Center or if you're like, I don't wanna talk to anybody, you can go on your phone to connect.calvaryrowan.com. One of the first buttons is I'm committing my life to Jesus and you can fill that out and we just wanna give you some resources digitally to help you live out this kingdom to follow Jesus, to not just make a decision in a moment, but to step into a movement. And that movement isn't about joining this church. It's about joining the family of God. And the Bible says that, that heavens, that the angels rejoice over that decision that you made today. Thank you for making that decision. If you can stand with me, the second thing before we close, I want you before you leave today, you guys can all stand. We're gonna sing a song here in a minute. I want you before you leave today to fill out this card. God wants to use you. He's put you in a place. You might think, I, I'm just a, I just go to church, man. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not any of that. But God has sent you into a mission field, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family. He's put you in a mission field for a reason. Why? Because we are called to invite others to see and hear what we have seen and heard, to be changed and transformed just as we are. Jesus didn't come to this earth just to die for you. He did, but he didn't just die for you. He died for those around you. And we have an opportunity to pray. And over the next few weeks, I wanna encourage you to pray 
for three people and in three weeks, invite them to join you, sit with you and experience what God is doing right here on Christmas Eve. And who knows what God could do? You pray and invite and then let God do the rest and see what he could do. And and as we sing this song together this morning, I want you to think about who those three people are. God, how can you use me? And use this song as an opportunity to say, you know what, God? I wanna commit. I wanna commit to advance your kingdom. I wanna commit to step into your kingdom and to see your kingdom expanded in our community. Let's sing this song together this morning. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 